Hello. Beautifully faded out right about now. Oh, well, the thing is, I think we, we're going to test this, but I think there's ducking. So I think, like, as we're talking, it's fading it's out. It's ducking out the music. Naturally. All right. Well, then let's just hit it right in here, folks. Welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. The show covers hot topics and even spicier wigs. Daniel Colbert. Thank you for being here, Daniel. Um, today's episode is brought to you by um, uh, having a conical burr grinder for your coffee. What's a burr the experience? grinder? A burr grinder. Well, you know what a burr is? No, I mean like one of the things that sticks to your clothes when you frolic through the woods. Sure, 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 sure. sure. But it's also like it's like a gear that is also a blade. Huh. Oh. Wait, is this you know like how, what like, you cut you know like a uh, like a can opener thing? Is that like a can opener? Schmickle? Um, I wouldn't call that a burr. A burr is more for like grinding something down. Okay. Um, have you ever looked inside of a coffee grinder? Yes, actually, I have. Yeah, it's like Those a spiral-y burrs. kind of gear. Yeah. Like and um, it's... like a nut grinder. Uh huh. It's a nut grinder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, um, <laughs> we're children. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was for real when I started talking about the duck grinder because I had a duck grinder growing up. It was like that, that we would grind the almonds for the cookies. Sure. Um, anyway. But yeah, the nut grinder. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Imagine you had a burr, one of those oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. spiral blade gear things. Oh, yeah. But imagine it was a cone instead okay. of being... St- straight okay then conular conical actually conular um and then as you like shifted them up and down the grind would get coarser and finer word right and that's how a coffee grinder works it's called a conical conical burr grinder and my first i want to say my first or second week at titan uh there was a big discussion in discuss coffee about like good conical burr grinders and i like yeah. insta bought one on amazon and i've had it ever since and it's perfect and there's nothing wrong with it and i can't see it ever breaking uh it was a hundred dollars and it makes perfect ground coffee every morning wow for me and my and my family thank it's soup for my family canonical birth grinder mm-hmm. thank you i also have a sponsor the gooseneck the bona bona vita oh the gooseneck kettle the gooseneck kettle because that yeah. was my good titan combo purchase you when i started at titan and it's on well it's three feet away from me right now here even in florida yeah. so if you have both it's that's an insane combo. you have both uh, i don't i have well, a gooseneck yeah, okay. kettle but it's actually a really shitty one that i just use on the stove i don't have a a magical non-stove oh. one yeah, well, there's a certain vibe to the stove one, I bet. I bet that's a lot like cooler feeling, you know? It's definitely grosser. Why? Oh, because it's got all that char going? Yeah, it's got all the, like, stove detritus on the outside, you know? Stove what? Detritus. Detritus? Yeah. Is that what it's called? You know, detritus is just like, uh, 
grossness that happens by being in a gross environment. So I thought that that's interesting. I have heard the term recently smudge. Smudge. In the context of the blackening on the outside of like a pot from a fire or something. And that sounds like real wholesome Midwest talk. Right. So, and I might have read it actually. That's crazy because I probably read, I'm reading a book, The Sand, um, what's it called? A Sandhill Almanac or whatever by uh, Aldo Leopold. It's like this old school, you know, wildernessy, whatever. It's a book. It's pretty good. And I think, and he's from the Midwest and uh, the Midwestern. Do you think he was from Belgium? No. I know he wasn't. Okay. Well, um, I mean, it's surprising, but I'll accept it. He, he, why? Why? King Leopold? Sure. Should have got that. The many that, kings, Leopold? Should have connected that. It's possible. Yeah. Um, definitely possible. So, Daniel, yeah. Aldo Leopold, smudging. Oh, so at summer camp, they would do these like secret ceremonies in the woods. With the sage and shit? <laughs> they should have, dude. And they would have smudge pots. So we would like, as the leaders, we would like go make the smudge pots, which is just coffee cans. And you take a toilet paper roll, you stick it in the coffee can, and you douse it all in kerosene. Okay. And then you light it on fire. And, and why is that a smudge pot? I So I always just, it's just one of those things. You're just at camp. People say, oh, go get the smudge pots. It's like, okay, whatever. And they're just for starting fires quickly, I guess. Yeah, it's just like a, a little torch, like a little, you know, makeshift torchy thing in the woods to make it feel all like cool. Um, anyway, and so I was like, smudge. Maybe that's why they're called smudge pots, because they have that like soot s- stuff, you know? Huh. So anyway, yeah. Did, Did you ever get to the bottom of it? <laughs> no, never. But I like the, the idea camp that director, like you reached out to the camp directors and like, why are they called Spongebob? I should. So the camp director is staying with me as we speak. He's not oh, here no right shit. now. Well, he's my father-in-law. and You would think it would be like a hard thing for you to reach back out to this camp right. director. But nope. actually, he's in the next room. When he gets back in two hours, I could just ask him. Well, so. I look forward to follow up next week. Yeah. Well, we will follow up with that. So yeah, you got that. Uh, the What would you call it? The decitis? Detritus. The bursitis? Detritus. Detritus? Detritus. Like, okay, like if you, um, I don't know, like if you, it, it, debris could be detritus, but detritus debris, could also, yeah. be, detritus could also be just like, uh, like sometimes I'll sweep off uh, the concrete at the back of my, there's a little concrete pad in my backyard. Yeah. And I'll sweep it off. And in the corners of the concrete pad and in all the cracks, there's like this like remnants of like crushed up old dry leaves and yeah, dirt and, like and, and stuff. some max hair and, sure. you know, whatever. That's detritus. Sure. Just like the environmental gunk of an area. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? The tritus. Detritus. Like oh, it's not. <laughs> it's not the tritus. Detritus. <laughs> it's detritus. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, so. so the stove kettle has sort of around the outside and bottom the stove detritus of like catch it because it you know like I cook next to it so like some oil from a pan gets on it and you know right 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 yeah I was just gonna say like it seems like that would be 
a good quality to have in a stovetop gooseneck thing. That's what I was talking about. That it's got that like nice, you know, like um, earthen, you know, ye old grandma's tea thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the oil splash from the others, like that, just makes it into like a gross kitchen item. It is a gross kitchen item because yeah. I don't wash it as much as I should because it's like a water kettle, you know. I mean, I don't wash anything as much as I should. Yeah. Just no sense in washing here actually in this airbnb they have a range you know or whatever some electric range like uh-huh. stovetop um which is actually great because you can just wipe the whole thing just one wipe oh is know? it like a induction one i don't know but you can just wipe it it's glass yeah yeah yep which is pretty sweet so so yeah daniel i got a question for you yeah, I, at this airbnb i take garbage and i put it in the garbage disposal and then i run the thing when you say garbage you know you mean like like, you, you, like an empty box of batteries or what? <laughs> yeah, like whatever garbage I have, like Chipotle, you know, like a Chipotle tin or something, you know, and I just stuff it down there. Um, no, you know, like so you make scrambled eggs, there's a few yeah, yeah. scrambled eggs left. Leftover food. Leftover food. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get at. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you put it down in the thing and then you run the water and you turn it on. Yeah. Where does it go? How does into this the, work? Into the pipes. Okay, so a garbage disposal grinds whatever you put up, yeah. put through it, uh-huh. and then mixes it with water, and then it all goes into the pipe. Out the out the pipe. Is there ever a like, oh, you got to change the garbage disposal trap? Like, is no. there like a compartment of like gross, disgusting goo or something? No, I mean, you would maybe, I don't know, there might be times where like some food might get stuck somewhere sure in that process but it's definitely not intentional <laughs> that's crazy that this thing works you know what, what do you mean it just makes the food small and mushy enough that it doesn't cause a problem could i dump like a cup of blueberries in there and just run it yeah and that's fine yeah dude this is insane you could probably i mean it would be loud and gross but like you could put like five gallons of french fries through it you know (laughs) and it would be it would be fine as long as you had enough water what couldn't you put in a garbage disposal bones become an issue chicken okay because that was honestly literally picturing ribs yeah no ribs where i was headed i mean it would break the garbage disposal got it okay sure um sometimes you accidentally drop a fork in there that's a big problem oh man and then you reach in to grab it then your finger gets caught in it that's how you die yeah (laughs) that's how i lost two of my fingers man sheesh um yeah daniel so so that's the garbage disposal daniel and okay the water that has to run when you run it Uh is that just so it has water to juice stuff up or is it like the gears are going to get like it's like a water slide you know yeah yeah i do you don't you can't slide down a dry water slide you don't slide right neither can five slide. gallons of french fries <laughs> <laughs> of course of course you just gotta um, keep it moving you know oh yeah yeah i mean i know i know daniel so yeah so there you go daniel yeah dude For dude. Sure, dude 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 now here's my question about garbage disposals yeah like what at some point the water that goes into the bad water side yeah gets like reclaimed and turned back into good water and fed back to you at like a water treatment plant right Mm, yeah 
So does that mean they're just like filtering out French fries and like yeah, what sure. are they They've doing with the, what are they doing with all these like all this food product? That's what that chicken nuggets are made out of. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> well, I guess there's also like poop product and other stuff in there that they're they're having to deal with. Yeah. Well, there's like does it all go to the same place? It does, yeah, doesn't it? it does, out of a house, yeah. like there's no gray uh-huh. water and black water out of your house. It's all yeah, black. Yeah, no, it's all it's all black. That's crazy, dude. Black is sin. Wow. Well, yeah, there you go. There you go. The magic of plumbing. Uh-huh. Am I right? We should talk to we should get a water treatment expert on the on the pod. Totally. We got some questions. We do have questions. How you make my doo-doo drink drink? <laughs> poopy gone. Uh <laughs> Hey man, how you make poopy gone? Um where does all this shit go? So <laughs> Uh, we don't so, know that, really. So, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Mm. That's important stuff. Yeah. Okay, here's a quick one. There's this go-kart place. So, I I live next to a, like, carnival, basically. This is, like, Disney World for poor people or something. Or just, like, dirt, about dirty people. Where you are right now? Yeah. I thought you lived next to Disney World. Well, I also live next to Disney World. There's a place <laughs> next to Disney World that is, like... You know, they do like, um, like classic car nights and stuff, you know, like okay, that. that's dope. Yeah. Like a state fair type of shit. Yeah. Like all the time. Uh huh. Um, and so, you know, we go there to hang from time to time. Yeah. I'm just... 10 times more into that than I am into Disney. Dude, you would, you would actually totally dig this place. It's so funny. We have so many I people love visiting us. I love carnies. You would love it. We have so many people visit us and like everybody's just so different mm-hmm. that, that we we do a lot of the same stuff with different people, but everybody's got a different take, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, my brother loves this place. He's like, dude, he's right here. It's like, come on. Yeah. And we're going, we're drinking the 29-degree beers, the coldest beer in North America. It's like two and a half dollar I like beers. To, I like to get, like, a large stuffed animal from someone who's, like, actively chewing on their tongue, you know? Yeah, right. With with uh, <laughs> And they only have, like, two teeth, and they got that real, like, close bite that face you get when your gums get close to each other uh-huh you know i'm really like mm-hmm. yeah like that kind of thing yeah actually we went so you know that game where you hold on to the bar you have to hold on to a bar for like two minutes and you win a m- bunch of money or something yeah and it yeah, just looks it, it like a chin-up bar but it spins yeah dude i know that's a scam and i swear i can do it i'm sure i can't uh-huh but brock and i were like i've seen like, people do it Really? Like success? Like one? Oh, okay. There's ways to hold your hand. Really? You have to have a big enough hand, but like there's, I forget, they like intertwine their thumb with their two fingers or something. It was a rock climber. And he basically made like a crimp grip around his own finger with his thumb. I wonder if they would like not let you do that. Uh, I have seen him do it with like, it was like some guys like doing it like in like a public square in Europe or something. Yeah. And the dude like literally pulled him down. Right. I dude, I bet. They they were so we were just kind of inquiring, like, hey, you know, like we just thought it'd be fun. But then we were asking about the price. She's like, it's like ten bucks each. And we're like, no way. Like, we're like five bucks. Five and, and you got a deal. And I totally thought we'd work her down. She didn't budge. But she kept telling us like all the specific rules and was like, and you can't do xyz but she had like an accent we could barely understand her it was just very funny anyway but clearly they like take it very seriously like you have to you have to lose (laughs) like if you're like do anything that allows you to win no 
you're out. Oh, Caleb. Okay. You're back. So while Daniel's internet is Whoa. reconnecting. Your internet is reconnecting. I'll continue to tell you about the spinning bar of wonder. It did spin. You know I'm here though, fast. right? You can hear me? And there was us, and it was it. And so it was. And that is it. Welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I am your host. <laughs> oh, he's back. He's back. All right. Uh, where were we? Carnies. We were talking. Spinning bars. Carnies, spin bars. bars you can't spin. win. Oh, yeah. It's like the casino. You know? It's like where they're just... It's like uh, if you're good at blackjack, you can't play blackjack. You're not allowed yeah, to. Right. Yeah, that's goofy. It is goofy. So, point of the story is they have this go-kart track that's super sketchy, but it's like three stories. And this thing, it just rips. Like that sounds so dope. You're three stories up, and you just bomb this hill like into That's a awesome. bank, and it's just like metal rails on this go kart. You're just smacking each other, getting whiplash. Oh, it's just crazy, and it's like gasoline. You know, all the like places around Orlando that are all nice. They're electric go karts. They're single story. They have yeah. good websites. This is like old school, dangerous stuff. You know what I think. Go- the go-kart industry is missing what a crossover episode with the airsoft industry absolutely you know what i'm saying 100 like, dude you can get like a uh, full auto glock oh like airsoft glocks yeah oh yeah or like uzis a- you get straight up i had an uzi dude <laughs> that's the move is you just like everybody gets in a, a gas-powered go-kart with right. an uzi and you just fucking, and you just spray at your neighbor and stuff. That would be so Man. fun. They they actually, you know, there's a lot of things not far from where we're staying. One of those things is like the paintball tournament of Mecca. the world yeah. or whatever. And they basically convert. So right next to Disney is just fields of cows, which is so funny. That uh, is funny. But they, they must like move the cows for a little bit. And then it just becomes Ooh. like this insane paintball situation and they should totally it should be like when you're playing halo and you hop in the warthog you know that's what it should be like an optional add-on yeah or like you get like a buddy on the back of your go-kart with a paper right that's what needs to happen dude (laughs) like a little make the most like a little office chair swivel chair (sighs) oh totally i know why is no one consulting with us dude we're like the goddamn deloitte or mckinsey of of uh, ratchet white trash fun yeah absolutely dude we we should paintball should be brought back i agree dude it's time for a renaissance yeah the problem with paintball is i think they had a marketing issue um they ended up being fully you know about audience capture you familiar with the concept of audience capture it's like what happens to you 
right? Um, where you made a uh, you made a product and your audience was like mostly PHP developers, you know? And yeah. so now like if you ever wanted to like do TypeScript or something, you would get yelled at by the PHP developers. Right. Um, it's that. It's it's where like the original audience for a thing causes it to not be able to break out of that thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm kidding, actually. Obviously, paintball. you could do TypeScript. Um, I think Paintball got audience <laughs> captured by like all the like Fox Racing Monster Energy sponsorships. Um, yeah. And it became like exclusively like a really like aggressively redneck male hobby. Yeah, like you wear like camo pants yeah, to exactly. school. And it became a little too tactical, you yeah. know? Well, Airsoft and became way too tactical. Airsoft is far too tactical. Airsoft was so fun when it, I remember my first Airsoft experience was just like it was a blast. Bunch of friends, somebody had a couple pistols, and we were just like running around the house, blasting each other point blank. And, and it hurt. That was that. Welts. And it hurt. It and, the that, and then yeah. it's like fast forward five or more years where it became like a thing, and some of my friends had like four hundred dollar full metal gearbox, like. Airsoft, I think as soon as it, machine as soon guns as and the all CO2 the CO two cartridges entered, I think airsoft got too much. I don't even I think, know that that was a thing. I've never like seen a CO two cartridge. Oh, so there's like gas powered airsoft guns, really? Where like it, they're not powered off of just like compressing air. Huh. Um, they're like you put like a CO two cartridge in, right? Yeah, like a so they're like gun, super but... fast full auto ones are like right. Like there's yeah. no way they're compressing air fast enough to shoot those airsoft BBs. They're just shooting gas out of a canister right 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 but the ones that i've like like back in the day it was like super expensive electric ones yeah battery and, batteries and battery charging was like a big part of it you yeah. know like the whole clip was like battery packs yep. you know but yeah but i mean that that was like kind of fun but the people who were like crazy and knew it they were just like whatever it was no fun because they have all this armor and the super yeah. powerful guns like you just and lost got that grenades and shit yeah like you lost that just pistol no armor just yeah. your t-shirt mm-hmm. it's you know win. totally as soon as we started wearing we goggles for this stuff we don't like it was we well we should have been wearing goggles the whole no, time we should have been but as soon as we did then it was like not cool <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i feel you Dude, it became we, an arms race quite literally man but airsoft is fun. Anything where you have a gun and you're just shooting each other is so fun. That's a blast, yeah. And when there's danger involved and it actually hurts and you actually yeah. don't want to get shot, it's great. Uh-huh. But how could like we need to make paintball a thing that like you go to a conference, a few people like maybe paintball is like part of the conference. There's paintball yeah. day. Yeah. Or there's just like one guy in each talk who has a paintball gun. And, right. just, and there's a word there's a word you're not allowed to say from the stage where you get paintballed and you don't know what word that you don't know what word it is <laughs> yeah. now that's a conference that's a conference that's like and when you come to alpine comp or whatever the uh asheville asheville no plans to merge asheville no plans to merge conf um, but for real like companies should do paintball as their like um you know, get to know each other. Thing. If we do a conference, we will do a paintball event. Absolutely. That is our promise oh, to you. Man, that would be so fun. Yeah. There are just some things that fundamentally put a smile on your face. When you're driving a motorized vehicle that's oh, like yeah. small and gas powered. Uh-huh. When Dude, you're shooting four-wheeler? your friends. Yeah. Four-wheeler, dirt bike, guns and knives. Yeah. These are universal goods. Yeah. And you know, they've been audience captured by like you know, yeah. the lamest among us. 
It's true. Are, are knives cool anymore? Like, does Not, the next generation cool. even like care about pocket knives? Yeah, maybe they've been like, uh, maybe they've just like compared to all the all the crazy shit out there. They're not even that cool anymore, right? Like, do kids like Jones over? You know, they well, go to flea I markets mean, and buy. Butterfly knives must be cool, right? Butterfly right. knives like, are always cool. What's up with the butterfly knives? Where are those at? Yeah, I'm just looking at my nieces and nephews, and I'm not seeing any of them Jones on butterfly knives, switchblades, just pocket. I think knives. that is. I think what you're noticing is that you have failed. I you're the I, uncle. I you're, right. you're the one who's supposed to sneakily get this them. Is the, dude, this is the knife. really tough thing. Is like I want to get them into knives because mm-hmm. I like I bring a few you know knives around, and I'll like have it at like a party, and they're like opening a gift, and they'll be like, "Oh, does anybody?" And I'll be like, "Oh yeah, sure." You know, yeah. Here you go, and they're all like, "Oh, that's so cool." So I'm doing my part in that way. Yeah. But I have this fear that, like, the minute I give one of them a knife for their birthday they're or something, stab their sister. They're just going to stab their sibling, and then, and I'm going to be responsible for the death of a family member. <laughs> the problem well, like, with everything cool is, like, I don't think my parents should have let me have any of it. Well, here's the thing, right? Kids, you either give them the tools to accidentally kill their siblings when they're young. Right. or they're going to die of exposure when they're older. Right? What do you mean? They're, they're not going to know how to use a fucking butterfly knife when the time comes. Right, when the time comes. Yeah. They're so not going to know. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you, you, wouldn't you rather them just like kind of be playing around with a butterfly knife as a kid and accidentally cut their finger off than, than like, you know, they're in a FedEx uh, shipment center, you know, <laughs> trying to mail out some t-shirts for their band you know, and a guy comes in and says, give me all the money in the safe. And now they're fumbling with their butterfly knife because they don't know how to open it. Right. Because they're you know? opening the, you know, the FedEx issued butterfly knife that everybody gets. <laughs> so this is all I'm saying is like, it's it's really, it is your responsibility as, it as is cool my responsibility to make sure that these kids know how to butterfly. My goal. So a lot of these things I like learned on my grandpa's land he had land and so like me and all my cousins would go there and they're just there was like a dirt bike and all this stuff like we just got into stuff you know i know he gave me my first little pocket knife what's that we we need land i mean we own no we both own land but it's like stupid suburban land we're just not that much land yeah um but that's what i I need to have the land and then it's like (laughs) uncle caleb's land you go to uncle caleb's land you are shooting stuff you yeah, know, you're shooting. There's a shed full of butterfly knives. Totally. Like this is what births the desire for the butterfly knife. I think the the key thing too is like y- you want to have all the butterfly knives in a shed that they're like quote unquote not allowed to go in. Right. But like you know that they do go in for sure. You know. Yeah, my grandpa in his bedroom that we like snuck into one time. We opened his drawer, dude. My grandpa was like the most badass dude ever. His literally like he he slept on a bed that you could like drop a quarter on and it would bounce because he was like in the military and that was like a thing of his. His okay. bedroom was just like a military bed with like military blankets and a wall of lockers that he got from the school system because he was an electrician. And, and, and each one oh, had a 38 special. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he had the coolest stuff in like every drawer of anything. So we snuck into his room thing on the land in the little trailer. He had firecrackers packs of firecrackers in there it's like it is, dude it is which to like an 11 year old was like oh my gosh 
This dude just sleeps in a bouncy bed with firecrackers. Right, he's got firecrackers and pocket knives. Come on. Yeah, dude, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he was he was legit. That's pretty Um, cool. Yeah, so pocket knives. Oh, brief, random, whatever. We were at a fancy restaurant yesterday. Fanciest restaurant I've ever been to. Sure. And they had a steak knife. Sure. That looked like a stiletto. Okay. And it and I was like, this feels like kind of kitschy, you know? Like we're in like a super nice place, and the steak knife looks like a greaser's switchblade, you know? That's kind of cool though. It is. And but I, I was like, is it supposed to be, or is it just like I'm just seeing that in it? Because it has like that black handle and like that kind of like chrome tip thing. The steak knife was a fixed blade steak knife, but right in the like corner, you know, whatever the its ridge, it had a little thumb grip that you would oh, use to like the one with pull the it out. What's that? Okay, never mind. You're the not one. talking about the B knives, are you? Probably. Was the thumb grip did it look like a B? No. Okay, never mind. You know how like There's every these... pocket knife has that little like grip to like pull it out? Oh, like the little like knob? Yeah, the little like notch. Okay, we're talking about totally different things. Yeah, in yeah, the I knife. Know what you're I don't know, but it's still fixed blade. I don't know, just random. Um, no, the the thing I was talking about is these steak knives that are everywhere. The um lag lagule steak knives um that are lagule. cool and they have they have these little bees on them. Um they look Lao Lagule. Like yeah they have bees on them so right at the like right at the corner of the um of the blade in the handle i mean these look exactly like what i'm talking about oh word here i mean look at these get a picture of one and you'll see like right at the corner of like the blade in the handle yeah there's like a little flat engraved bee like honeybee oh i'm not seeing that dog but what i'm looking at this Lou Lagoule steak yep. knife, that's what I'm talking about. This is the exact knife. I really want these knives. That but there's they had like going shitty on. ones and there's good ones. I telegrammed you a link. Um, oh, yeah, dude. This Okay, so they're they're like... In, I mean, this one is like totally explicit. They're intentionally making this. Is it, what's a stiletto? Isn't that like... Not the shoe, but like stiletto. The stiletto is the one that comes straight out. Yeah. And a stiletto is like... Uh, is It's like... No, dude. Yeah, this looks like a stiletto. This is modeled after that. The okay, one you word, sent word. me is basically yeah. a stiletto. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. It's an actual thing that's apparently not that kitschy. No, they're really nice. Okay. Because I'm telling you, and they like feel nice like in the hand. Don't they? And they had these like knives that I was like, "Did you guys get these from like I don't know, like from, Amazon, from like Crate and Barrel, or uh, sorry, from Field and Stream, rather?" Yeah, I don't know. It seems like even like worse than that. Like an airsoft magazine had them. Uh huh. Uh huh. Anyway, Daniel, are you into knives? You're into knives because you worked at I'm, like restaurants I'm, and stuff. Oh, like, you kitchen, mean, like, knives? kitchen knives? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really badass knives. Yep. Yeah. I I so I actually this is gift guide of the year item that my wife got me at my request for Christmas. Yeah. Um. It is a. I, I'm not going to remember the name. Next episode, ask me. I will have checked on the name. But it's this crazy thing. Um, So sharpening knives on a block is the correct way to do it. But like you got to have a nice block. It takes up space, like blah, blah, blah. I came from like a wet block world. 
where like you use like an actual whetstone. Uh-huh. Um, nowadays, everyone uses dry stones. Okay. You know, whatever. Who, who? I don't care. Um, blah 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 blah. I don't have like a good nice block. I have an old shitty block that like kind of works, and it's like, okay, do I want to spend like four hundred dollars buying a new block and like getting a really nice one, you know, yeah. or not? So then I found this fucking thing on the internet for $80 or whatever. And it's like, uh, it's a stone. Yeah. But it's on a, it's a rounded stone and it's uh-huh. on this rolling thing. Yeah. So you roll it back and forth with your hand and it gives you a magnet that holds your blade at exactly 15 or 20 degrees, depending okay. on what you want. Yeah. And you just like roll the stone along the edge of the blade. Oh, interesting. And you do it for 20 minutes and your knife is sharp. Crazy. How it's, much is it? And this? it's like very, it was like 80 bucks. Okay. Um, I think maybe it was 150 bucks. I don't know. I asked for it for Christmas. So it, yeah. it didn't come out of my pocket. <laughs> it came out of my wife's pocket, which eventually. She probably, pockets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she they got pockets. All day. <laughs> they got pockets. You don't no, pick her wear dress, a dress? <laughs> the dresses come with pockets. I know. The world's right, great. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway. Great. Uh, it's a, it's a good item. I've been enjoying it to sharpen my nabs. There's a YouTube channel. I can't recall the name at the moment. A uh-huh. dude that reviews like tool gear stuff. And it's Is it totally. Wrangler Star? No, not him. He's pretty cool though. I think he's having a mental breakdown. <laughs> I haven't checked in on him in a while. Last I knew he was felling trees on his homestead yeah. uh-huh. and blacksmithing random crap yeah he was recently doing some youtube shorts that i saw about like how to make sure that the government emf waves can't get into your oh, house oh boy buddy so you know i think you might have gone full homestead oh, if you if you bud, full homestead <laughs> um Sheesh. yeah so i don't think he's actually doing okay but he does do good, like how to sharpen an axe content. He does. He's got great stuff on that. Or like how to start a fire with a shoelace. You know, who's that guy? So this dude is, uh, he's whatever, quiet, random dude. YouTube videos are like high quality, but low, you know, like kind of like primitive technology, dude. Just the kind of mm-hmm. thing where mm-hmm. they're really good to watch, but like clearly he's not going for view counts, but he gets a zillion of them because he's not. So sure. he reviews just like, like he'll us. do, like, except, dude, exactly like us. Yeah. Pure, unfiltered authenticity is uh-huh. what you get with us and with this dude. Uh-huh. So he'll he'll review like the best drill, and he'll just buy one of each of like impact drivers or drills or something. He oh, does like I very know the guy. comprehensive. I know the guy. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. You know this dude. He reviewed the Linus Tech Tip screwdriver. Oh, I know. I didn't know that, but I haven't seen yeah. every one of his videos. So okay very Carry likely on. um maybe i did i don't know anyway he did one on knife sharpeners like from a ten dollar whetstone which is exactly what i have all the way at, and the like five dollar landski sharpener which is i use that and i know that's horrible but it's easy all the way up to like you know a thousand dollar rig thing yeah. it's got all the angles all dialed in and it's all whatever and and then he has this thing to measure you know it's got this medium that you cut through and it like has um it just detects the amount of force against this thing so you you know you take the knife and you basically just start pushing down and then it cuts through yeah. and you know makes 
and figures Sense, out how much whatever. force it takes to cut through the exactly. Screen. So he does a ton of different whatever on on this stuff, like different angles and and after abuse, like all sorts of stuff, and basically comes away with the ten dollar whetstone is maybe second place, but oftentimes first place. Yeah, of everything is it literally depends, a ten dollar like, whetstone. There are like comparing stones. You can get a, a shitty ten dollar whetstone. And you can also get like a pretty good $180 whetstone. And there is like a, it's not necessarily going to make your knife better, but it's, it's going make to make you feel better. The, it's going to make the effort that you have to put in to make your knife good less. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I heard that. Yeah. Okay. We used to have great stones at this one restaurant I worked at. We had like five of them and each side is different grain or yep. different uh, like you grit. grit. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, you know, it's like you spend like two minutes on each side. Yeah. Flip it. And then by the end, you've got like a mirror finish. Yeah, that's cool. We've got a strop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got one of those strops. Strops are legit. A little bit of that strop stuff. Resin. Rub a little bit on there. Uh-huh. Strop it good. Daniel. Yeah. Do you want to talk about performance? Dude. To the listener and the user. Uh, normally Caleb and I, we don't talk that much throughout the week, you know, like, well, I mean, we, we message and stuff, but like, it's not that common that we, you know, we spend yeah, hours we like and hours never talking code throughout the week. Together. We never code together. Like ever. Um, <laughs> this is a different week. This is a different week. We've coded together for yeah. 10 hours. And it was since you last fun. heard from us. Um, and it was a blast. It was a blast. We came up with some craziness. So the findings basically like, let's just start with Daniel had an app. So we can client. Yeah, we can say the problem, right? So the problem is like we had a situation where we were going to have potentially 60,000 Alpine components booting up on a page at the same time. And you were going to basically use like keyboard navigation to like navigate between them. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, like a table. Right. Yeah. And so you need to like navigate between table cells with a keyboard. Say there's sixty thousand cells. Uh, that's a lot of event listeners. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of bound classes. A lot of each element. Every time the active cell changes, that piece of reactive data causes 60,000 things to be like, is that relevant to me? Is that about me? Should I change my class? Or am I good with the class I currently have? And all of that happens in the exact same instant, which really was quite a quite a performance bottleneck. Yeah. So let so let me tell the story of like yeah, yeah. sorry you started tell it from your end. No, 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 well yeah. We'll just we'll just build up to the the grand finale. But like the the setup is is Daniel has this app that you load a page. I- I actually called you before I even started working on it. I said, I might be working on the craziest Alpine app ever. Yeah, right. And so he, Daniel's been like telling me about this excitedly. But then came the day where Daniel was going to tell me like, oops, I'm about to tell them they need to do this in React. But we should probably at least like look into seeing about, you know, but that was sort of the what's in the air. It was like, tell me that this shouldn't just be a React app. And I was like, eh, it might just probably should be a React app, you know? But let's dig into it because it's already not a React app. So let's kind of yeah. suss it out. So load the page. Takes 20 seconds on my machine to load 2,000 rows in this table. 
And so I just start like deconstructing which is, it. Which is uh, 12,000 cells. Yep. Yep. Um, which is like a lot of rows. A lot and of alpha components. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that I ever really deal with stuff that needs 12,000 rows, you know, that's not like lazily loaded or whatever. Like, I'm not sure, sure. it's like a great thing yeah. to just load 12,000 rows. Um, there's other things we should probably do to it, but whatever. The point is that there's 12,000 or 2,000 rows. Um, so I load that. It's just as like a benchmark and get like, okay, this takes 20 seconds. First thing I found basically is event listeners are the most costly thing. So the cool part is I just wired this little app up to my local version of Alpine and started like commenting out chunks of Alpine. Which yeah, so first, just, thing, first thing I did was like, I took all of the Alpine code out of their code base and I made like a dummy app, right? Yeah. So Caleb, first thing was like, give me like the smallest MVP possible of this code, right? Yeah. So I like whipped up like a PHP file that yeah, like is generates rows full of Alpine shit. And I was like, deliver Caleb like eight files. And I was like, all right, here we go. This is the thing. Like, let's optimize it. Yep. Which is so perfect. Like, oh, that's the best. That's just the best when somebody hands you a what like a silver platter and you asked for it and i had it to you in like 45 minutes so I was yeah like, all right yeah i was like i'll be right back i was like yeah this isn't gonna work like i'm not a getting it getting the actual thing up and running on my machine is gonna be gnarly B, yeah, like Python, remotely messing with thing. it on your machine is gonna be gnarly so like get me the you know the silver platter here's the stripped down thing um whatever so yeah i had that 20 seconds to load hook it up with my local alpine and just start taking parts of alpine out and quickly realize axon is like majority of the loading time Mm -hmm. and so i was like all right let's dig into this whatever and i so i tweeted about this yesterday that like if you add so my tweet was like if you add fifty thousand event click event listeners to the window object like window.add event listener if you put that in a loop fifty thousand times it takes five seconds just an empty callback takes five seconds if you instead loop through fifty thousand elements and add click listeners to each one of those elements takes 0.05 seconds like it's just such a tiny amount of time and i do have to say like so when i i found that i was like that's really cool because you would think like oh listen on dot window it's going to be like better or something but it's actually way worse because you're just basically i think it's just this effect this is a dumb person talking about a smart thing but i just picture it like in javascript each object's like a little pus ball like a a nodule like a skin tag on like a person Gross. and yeah and like just a bunch of little ones it's fine but if one just gets like massive picture like a you know a huge like goiter or something mm-hmm. it's like that's gonna slow you down same thing with this it's like fifty thousand event listeners on fifty thousand things it's like no problem fifty thousand event listeners all concentrated into a single javascript object in memory now you have a problem yeah um we yeah, don't so exactly th- know why yeah we don't yeah. know why one big object is worse than 50,000 little objects. Right. Like, I mean, it, I feel like it makes like it, it makes yeah, sense I, in terms it of makes intuitive tags, sense. But like, I want to know, yeah. know in terms of like memory allocation, why it's an issue. I know. I want the primogen to explain it to me. Yeah. Same. So, yeah, that's that's the skin tag deal. Speaking it's, of which, that guy is obsessed with solid JS and you got to get him to use Alpine. He, I think he like jokingly put Alpine in his, he made some like fictitious stack. Like an S, like a tier list of JavaScript frameworks? Something. He made, he made a stack called something and it was like, 
uh, it was a few old technologies, but there uh-huh. were a few new ones in there. Alpine was in there. Yeah. It was an A in the stack. So he's like aware of it. Cool. Um, but yeah, he's on Leptos. He's in a solid now? Yeah, he's, he loves solid. Yeah, okay. Everybody loves solid. Yeah. It's like uh, the hot thing to love. Yeah, Except well, I mean... Dan Abramov. Dude, the, everyone loves solid. Everyone loves now using React server components to make non-interactive websites. I know. They love just generating HTML oh, with React server components. They're like, dude, it's crazy because like you could just choose what parts of your website you want to be JavaScript and what parts you don't. I know. And dude, you know that Theo guy, Theo.gg or whatever? Yeah. Do. He I saw an interview with Evan Yu that he did. Did you watch that? No. It's really good. You should watch it. Oh. Um but anyway, he did an interview with Evan Yu and they were talking about um th- this whole like server components paradigm and stuff, right? And they're like he was like, you know, it used to be that like the front end was the place to start, you know, and now there's kind of this new paradigm that we've entered into and it's yeah. new and it's hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around, but we're just going to generate HTML on the back end. And like a lot of the time, we're not even going to use JavaScript. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a crazy new paradigm. That's and Evan, Evan was kind of like, like sunning this kid a little bit and be like listen like uh like a lot of my users like are back-end developers who like use view when they need interactivity right yeah and like like i know that react developers like came from this world where like they learned react and that's where they started programming was like on the front end but like the view community is much more like laravel developers that learned that learned view as opposed to like javascript crackheads Right. <laughs> it's a lot of JavaScript crackets, but I think you're right. Yeah, the view is definitely as far as like... Um, yeah, but there's like a lot of like Rails developers and Laravel developers. For sure. Who are just like... And .NET, like uh, the, the boot camp that my brother and his wife took for Java and Spring Boot, whatever, they taught Vue. And same thing, the boot camp that did .NET for my friend, they taught Vue for the front end as well. So must just have love in the, in the back end. Yeah. But... Yeah, so that that is super funny. It is crazy. Like the whole JavaScript, everything, you know, whatever. I mean, the last like insane craze of everybody's like signals are like the best thing in the world and React sucks because it doesn't have like fine-grained reactivity. Um, And then all the battles that ensued because of that. Uh, But I don't know. It's just like everybody... So you've heard about this like view vapor stuff, right? No. Oh, so view is getting fine-grained reactivity. View has has had it forever. No, sorry, but I mean, like in the sense of like, view is getting like a no virtual DOM, like direct DOM manipulation. Oh, stuff. Cool. So nice. you, they're gonna make this thing called Vapor, make, which so is solid certain, but view, but it's only certain components. So you can have a view app that within it, one of your components is direct DOM manipulation, and the rest cool. aren't, which nice. is really cool. Yeah, interesting yeah 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 so it's, it's literally you just name it dot vapor dot view instead of okay. dot view just like how much does any of this matter how much does it matter like it's like oh i love solid or oh i love view or all ever it's like they're all they're so similar sure you the thing components? that matters as we learned right is like when you have fifty thousand cells and you only need to replace one of them yeah alpine or solid 
would have a massive advantage right. over React or Vue. I want to know if there's a React way. Okay, so let me keep walking yeah, the story. I Let's... do want to. I do want to try and optimize the React version and see if I can make it. Like, fast. how do you get React to to be fast? So, so here, right, here's the yeah. continuing on with the story, folks. We realized that event listener thing. Okay, keep digging, keep pulling parts out, seeing what is pure Alpine overhead and what's pure JavaScript overhead. Like, if we're gonna add ten thousand classes to this table. Like we're gonna need to actually just do that in JavaScript anyway. Like th- there's a baseline in these apps of like there's stuff that you just have to do in JavaScript. You have to manipulate this DOM element at some point, no matter what framework you're using or whatever you're doing. So it's like let's measure that overhead and then let's measure the Alpine overhead on top of that. And what we found was that Alpine. I was super surprised how low Alpine's overhead is. There's things that are definitely slow. There's things I knew that were slow. Like if you have, um. Like, like X data hard coded with like an, an expression or anything like that. That expression yeah, is the a evaluate string. function. Yeah, the evaluate function. It gets it gets compiled, um, and that compiling takes time. So it's just I honestly could optimize that pretty easily. I think there's so many optimizations I could make, but whatever. Um, yeah, it has to get compiled, and that takes time. So you can use like Alpine data to you know, not do that. So so there's things that we did like ultimately we made the page very fast without touching Alpine core itself. We just uh-huh. needed to like touch Alpine's core to, to really understand what parts were slow. Yeah. Well um, like you did sort of build some Franken builds of Alpine and then like in the end we didn't need any of that. We just used like exactly vanilla Alpine with yeah. some crazy nonsense. Yep, started stuff. doing crazy stuff, ripping out mutation observers and all sorts of stuff. But uh, yeah, so the the story goes basically that we I think we hit a wall. Like I got the load pretty much down of like, okay, here's if you did this in vanilla JS, it's gonna take you like four seconds just to freaking load the page because just and to load the HTML is gonna take three seconds. Cause it's just side note, we can come back to this, but the thing that we ended up finishing on doesn't even do the Exxon defer thing. What's Exxon defer? Or not defer. Uh, yeah, the delegate. I mean, the delegating delegate. event delegation. It doesn't even do event delegation. So, like, that's another performance optimization that we can do. Right. We could add event delegation. And that would make it even faster. Yeah. It would make the load faster. It would make the load faster, right? Because there's there's two performance things. It's like the page is really slow to load, and then when you clicked on a row to like activate a row, it, was, it took like a second to both, to click, and like so, exponentially longer the more cells there were. Yep. And so Daniel made an equivalent app in Next.js and React. And then we were looking in there and it definitely loaded way faster. Insta load. Yeah. As Insta, I'm still actually perplexed how it loaded as fast as it did. But Next.js is doing some magic. I don't know. I think they it might comes be doing down like to streaming or something. No, I, I started looking into it and I think it just comes down to the difference between Nginx and Next.js's local thing, like you said. Okay, gotcha. Because I, st- I started just like taking the raw HTML, putting that just in like a literal file so in my file like system. So it's like the dev server or whatever that Next, or the Turbo dev server that Next uses. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think Which is written in Rust and very fast. Faster so, than yeah. Valet, I guess. Yeah. Um, but whatever, once I got like equivalent stuff, it's like, yeah. Well, Next, you know, when Next SSR is a page and loads it, it's just as fast as loading like a PHP loaded thing, you know? Oh, but the, the numbers we were looking at, I didn't even tell you this. We were looking at DOM content loaded. We weren't looking at like uh, the lighthouse stuff per se. Uh-huh. Like we were sometimes, but whatever. 
So I redid the lighthouse stuff. It looks like it loads very fast with DOM content loaded, but like time to interactive with with next out of the box. The Alpine one was like two times as fast in almost all the metrics. Like it just has a higher lighthouse score. It had like a 72 and next had like a 50. So that was just a fun nugget that I was like, okay, whatever. Point is, that was initial load time we were trying to optimize. Um, but then update time, the Alpine one took like a second to update a row. The next one probably took like 300 milliseconds maybe. So perceivable slowness, like does yeah. not feel good, feels very slow. And imagine like a case where someone's holding down the down button, right? Yeah, right. That's and then screwed. wants to just be like auto scrolling at the speed of the repeating key key down events that your computer fires when you hold down a button. Right. Like you want to have that level of instancy, which I think is like five, a, you know, th- four or five a second, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, right, you want right. to, you don't want to be longer than like 0.1 or 0.2 seconds. Yeah. You have to be under like anything to be quote unquote instant has to be like under 100 milliseconds, basically. Mm-hmm. So the React one felt slow, but not as slow as the Alpine one. And we started digging into it. So we like ripped out Alpine entirely and we're just building like, build our own version in, in just like views reactivity engine, basically. Um, just raw reactivity, you know, the most like raw JavaScript DOM manipulation that you could do. And it was still slow. And we, we had just hit a wall. And, and there was just kind of this like feeling of like, there's either some, you know, answer from God that we're missing or fine grain reactivity is not the answer for this. And React is the way. You know, yeah. this kind of react style. Which felt unintuitive. Yeah, it did. Because right? it was like, what, what we want to do is like in a field of 10,000 cells, we want to remove a class from one of those cells and add a class to one of those cells. Yeah. So like we want to edit two out of 10,000 of something. And you're telling me that like a full virtual DOM refresh is like... Is the answer, right? The answer to that. Because like a React component, like it runs the whole component file. Right. Like that function yeah. that is a functional component gets run and yeah. like the JSX gets generated and yeah. then the virtual DOM diffing and all of that other bullshit happens. But like even if the even if like the actual DOM diff itself is only like changing two things, like the full component needs to get run and all of the loops and all of the nonsense that generates yep. the whole page needs to get run. Yep. Yeah, I know there's a lot of memoization in React, and I don't understand its internal memoization. Memoization is not always good. Well, I mean the the memoization under the hood. Sure. Like not like use memo. Yeah, yeah. Know. Although I did, I was using some use callbacks and stuff. Like I was doing right, some okay. smart stuff. Okay. You know, but so basically, here's the setup, folks. With the React, or sorry, with the viewer Alpine paradigm, picture you have ten thousand rows in a table. And you have some piece of data outside those rows called active row that keeps the current num which number is active. And so there's click listeners on every row or on the window, wherever you want to put it, where you click a row and it says, okay, I'm the seventh row. Take that that like global state or whatever, the Alpine store or whatever, it's a prop in view, and just mm-hmm. say like update the active row to what did I say? Whatever. If I'm the seventh row, update update yourself. So now active equals seven. And so that piece of data changes. And now every row that's a separate view component or Alpine component has to rerun because it depends because they on all have that. Like, they all have class bound to if exactly. active row equals my index, then set class to active. Yeah. So they have to all check again to be like, is my active index 
am I the active index? Active index changed. Did it change to me? And if so, change my class. And so 10,000 callbacks are rerunning and doing stuff, which is slow. It's a lot of memory. It's a lot of DOM. It's a lot of just like runtime overhead. So and there's a lot of shit all happening at once. Yeah. So like it's 10,000 things. If that was spread out things... over one second or two seconds, it wouldn't feel that slow. But it's like at the exact same moment, yeah. everything is checking the same thing. Right. So it's 10,000 things depending on one piece of reactive data. 10,000 rows depending on one item that says which row is active. So I'm just laying there on the couch like, just like, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. And we left kind of dejected from that pairing session. Like, I don't know, For man. Sure. This kind of fucking sucks. Yeah. It's like, there's got to be a way. It's like, so it's one of those, it's like solving a magic trick. I think about this a lot when I think about code. It's like, you just solve, when you solve a magic trick, you just start establishing like truths and working backwards, you know? Like you just establish like laws of physical boundaries and you're like, this mm-hmm. is a boundary. So I have to find some way to accomplish this knowing this. And so I was like working backwards and like, okay, I need. And for one. context, I had pulled an all nighter the night before grinding on this. So we had paired for a couple hours. We kind of left dejected. I was like, All right, I'm gonna go lay down for a little bit. So I like get in bed while you're yeah. laying on the couch thinking about this. I've like gotten in bed. <laughs> Maybe I was I, I was in bed myself because I did message you at one point. I don't know. But yeah, it was one of those things where just like chewing on it. And I was like, okay, every... If I want one row, if I only want one row to change when the active row changes, I don't want 10,000 rows to change. I just want one row to change. What if it had its, has its own reactive object, you know? So like what if there are 10,000 reactive objects instead of just one? Instead of everything depending on one thing, what if everything depends on its own thing and then there's some like logic machine that just modifies like the individual one it needs to. And so I just kind of hacked it out. Not This is what I was like messaging Daniel, but I just kind of hacked it out as like, okay, let's say that instead of like when you click a row, it says set this one active thing to like the number seven, you know, set active row to number seven. Instead, maybe it's an object of 10,000 keys, which is like the current row, and then 10,000 values, which is a little reactive Boolean that's true or false. And so like row 10 could say, look up in the object for row 10, see, is it active? No, it's not. Set it to active. And now only that row updates because it's only depending on one piece of data. I don't know if that makes sense for folks. And it does. Well, so so the thing is like, each of the the binds, right? Each of the class binds on all of the components, each of them is monitoring one piece of reactive data and they're different pieces of reactive data. So that when a piece of reactive data changes, rather than that affecting 10,000 event listeners, yeah. instead it only affects one. Yeah, yep. If you have like X bind on 10,000 rows, X bind class, yeah. Like if if now it's just depending on one of 10,000 things and that thing changes. So so yeah, anyway, I just did like a quick test and was like, holy crap, that just worked. And then I loaded the page with 2,000. I did 10,000. I did 20,000 rows. And it was instant. Like every click was literally instant because no matter how many rows, it's just as fast as it takes for two rows to change classes on themselves. Um so anyway, and then I was like, dude, I bet there's an abstraction here. And I chased the abstraction. I found a cool abstraction. I'll post a, I'll post a blog post about it. Um, but basically, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like we uncovered a pattern 
like making fine grained reactivity work in this context such that like man updates i mean that's the dream like that's kind of been the dream the whole time is with alpine with the rewrite you know of alpine v3 because v2 wasn't this way v2 would be slow for this kind of thing but v3 i like know in the back of my mind it's all set up so that if you just change one piece of data only the dom that depends on it is going to change um, and in this case, there was too much DOM that depended on on one thing. So instead of like rewriting Alpine or whatever, I was just like, what if we just split up the thing it depends on? So everything depends on everything. Anyway, it so, was a really nice solution. And, and I, I guess like, I just want to hammer home the point that I went from like, oh, this should probably be a React app to like, I don't th- I don't know if we can get React this fast. Like it's just, it's freaking instant, which is cool. Could. Solid. And, like, and there's so would, much like well, we still have so much headroom to improve the load speed too, which is great. Like right. that's what I'm gonna work on. We can get the know? load speed down is f- definitely as fast as React. It um, is already as fast as React. It's already as fast as React, and then the update speed is blazingly fast, which is so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, the it it's great. I love it, and I'm like, it was one of the most like fun like three day periods of my yeah. programming life in the last couple of years where we were just like, dude, let's make fast, you know? Right. Yeah. Like oh, I've never really fast. like, I've never really gotten to like sit down and be like this thing. Like there is an actual need for this to be like a lot faster than it is. And right. I got to figure out why or how, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a blast. It was a blast to work with you and write code with you. Totally. I love always when we get to do that. So um, But yeah, the, the other thing I was going to say is like, it feels like there's two principles that we learned from this, right? One is like making any object too big is bad, right? Yep. So like bloating up the window with event listeners. Yeah. Make slow, right? Keep the, objects small. Keep yep. objects small. And the other thing is like having too many eyeballs looking at one thing is bad. Right. Because then when that thing changes, everyone's freaking out all at the same time. Yeah. Like being really careful. And this is the thing that Dan Abramoff was really kind of sounding the alarm about is like, you're all repping signals and saying how awesome it is. But remember, like, why we built React. Like, we built it because it's super hard to track at scale what things make what things change. Sure. And this is that problem perfectly represented. And so, like, like, yeah, you got to be really careful. If 10,000 things depend on a thing, now you got a problem because if that thing changes, 10,000 things are going to change. Right. Yeah. Which is like why the whole like React memoization, callbacks, use memo, use callback, like all of that stuff where like you de- declare its dependencies. That's why that makes React faster, right? Is because like then you're only running code like when the things that it depends on work. But like you to to make that fast, you still need to have the mental model like I want to have each thing depend or I want to have each thing depended on by as few things as possible. Yeah. Right. Um, And so like once we got over that hurdle of like, oh, the thing we have to do here is like have each thing only depended on by one thing yeah, and have the window object not have (laughs) 20,000 event listeners uh, on it. Like when we... And it makes total sense. Like if you just think about the idea of like fine grained reactivity, right? Yeah. It's like, well, like you have to do everything fine grained. Like doing anything on a global level is yeah. going to make it worse, right? Yeah. So 
you want to have your event listeners as local as possible. You want to have, uh, you want to have your, uh, observable reactive data as granular as possible. Right. Like you want to avoid as much as possible having any sort of like big global universal truth yeah. that, or like some big hive mind that everything depends upon. Like if you can yeah. just structure your thing to be a little bit like have your data be the shape of your app, then things are good, yep. you know? And that's what we ended up building. So talk a little about the lens because the lenses I think are the coolest. Yeah. So I, I, the term I came up with for this concept of like, again, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to iterate verbally, but I'll try again. I, I can do it here. Let me do it. Cause you, you took a stab at it. I'll, I'll take a different stab at it. Great. So we've got 10,000 things, right? We want each of, we've got 10,000 components. Each of those components, we want to track a single piece of reactive data, right? And what we mean by reactive data for the, for those among you who aren't like big JavaScript heads or whatever is like, when this piece of data changes, like its dependencies know that and update, right? Yeah. And so Alpine has like this nice little utility, alpine.reactive, that can just make a piece of data reactive, which means if that- If you're a Vue 3 user, it's either reactive or ref. It's like, that's how you make something reactive in Vue. You know? Right. Um, and so the idea is basically like, okay, let's, we have 10,000 things. Rather than having- a single piece of data, <laughs> which is active row equals seven, right? Let's have an array of 10,000 items, each of which is a Boolean, true or false, true or false, true or false, right? And so if active row is seven, the equivalent would be an array of 10,000 things, all of which are false, except for number seven, which is true, right? Yeah. Um, and so then when a single piece of that data changes, so say seven becomes false and eight becomes true. Only two components are going to respond to that because component number seven is watching uh, item number seven in that array. And component number eight is watching item number eight in that array. And so when seven goes to false and eight goes to true, I, uh, component number seven will remove it, the active class and uh, component number eight will add the active class. So rather than the old pattern, which was uh, when active active row changes to eight, um, every single component now says, am I number eight? Oh, no, I'm not. Okay, I don't have to do anything. And so you have 9,998 useless uh, functions being run that run and have no effect, right? Um, so anyway, that is sort of like the data architecture, right? And so we built these, Caleb built them as functions. I rewrote them as classes because classes are good. Um, <laughs> Caleb has become an anti-OOP yeah. person. Only um, in JavaScript. <laughs> so I rewrote them as classes, but um, you called them like lens and lens group. I rewrote I them. I renamed be- them to lens and lens, lens set, but doesn't matter. Yeah. Sure. So what I renamed them to was uh, single select lens and multi-select lens. Right. Yeah. And so one, one basically is like like a single piece of data backed by a giant array. Right. Right. And the other one is an array of items backed by a giant array. So for example, say there was more than one row that could be selected rather than it just being like current row equals seven or current row equals eight. 
what if it was like selected rows equals one, three, and five, you know? And so we, there's basically these two lenses that basically like take this big array of Booleans and like translate it into the thing that you're used to, which and is it's just like, pure value. That, that, that was the, the challenge is like, we want the ergonomics of a singular piece of data. That, yeah, because like, I want to be able want to say, like, set the active row to seven. Exactly. Like, you want that. And you want to say, is this the active row? You know, Is the active row seven? Is yeah. the active row seven. You want to do those basic things. But, you know, we don't want to... Obviously, we know about the problems. We want this thing that Daniel's described, this big lookup table of Booleans. So, so yeah. So, we found an abstraction. I, I called it lens because... Do you think lens is a good word? Um, I'm less attached to it than I used to be. I thought it was really good in the moment, but I think, I think it may, I get why it, cause it feels like it's focusing all of it down into one thing. Yes. And that's funny. Cause I, I didn't even think that, but I like that even better. It's like a magnifying glass, right? Where like the I, sun gets focused down. Right. That's single. cool. I like that. I was picturing like you have this pile of reactive values and you just take this like small little window of it you know uh-huh. you're just like like the components are just looking at like a more limited version of the reactivity you know um which maybe I feel is like, a stretch i feel like i might call it like a granulizer or something right yeah i know that that's yeah I, that kind of idea i was thinking like my mind originally went to like some sort of splitting like a word like split you know yeah like us looking at like fission Split makes it feel like the thing that you want is the split thing. Right. But it's actually the opposite. The thing that you want is the merged thing. So it's almost a merger, but it is a splitter. Interesting. No, I think about like, I feel like it's the thing you want is the split thing. It's like you split. But you don't ever want to interact with the split thing. You want the split thing to just be like. No, you do. Like if every Boolean is like a card and you like fan out the deck of cards in front of you, you just want to look at like that the king of hearts you know sure, sure. Look but i mean that. like when i write code i don't want my code to reference the array of course no i you know, know what I'm saying? yeah but that's anyway so yeah there's probably a better name but i don't know lens felt like a really like nice sexy name that's short and like applied enough and made a nice function looking made a nice mm-hmm. looking function like lens you know and it's cool so it does some cool stuff like i do patterns like this like when i'm touching third-party apis and stuff in laravel well we're all like wrap up third-party API calls in accessors yeah. so that like, like uh, I just did a Stripe implementation, right? With Jacob for Thunk for a client. Um, and one of the things is like, okay, so you need to get the Stripe customer data for a user. I have this like as customer method on user. Yeah. Um, and it, um, or sorry, I have a customer oh, accessor Stripe. Okay. on user. And because accessors are cached, the first time it hits Stripe and then after that, it just nice. gives you back the same data, yeah. right? And so you can just kind of use the accessor to like make sure that I'm only going to hit Stripe once. It's like a memo, yeah. Yeah, and it memoizes it. So this kind of does the same thing where like the first time it checks it, the first time it checks like is number seven the active one, right? Yeah. If it finds that there is no number seven registered, it will right. add Registry. itself to the array as false. Meaning that the act of checking is the thing that populates the array. Right. 
And so it's not like we have to do like an initialization function where we're like, okay, well, there's going to be 12,000 rows. So first things first, let's populate this with 12,000 falses. Right. Like the things themselves checking whether they are active or not yep. populates the array for you, which I think is a very sexy little pattern. I know, right? That little just-in-time addition. Uh -huh. Yeah, that, that that's a really important part of the abstraction. So just so you have a view of the API, folks, if you even care, I'm going to post a blog post on this and you can read it there. It'll be like lens is a function that you pass in an, an initial value. So if it's you want class. the it's, seventh row, it's, it's a function. It's not a function, though. it's a class. Yeah. It's a function. If you want the seventh row to be active, you would say like lens parentheses seven. And then that returns to you an object that you can you would destructure. You say lens dot set seven. Dude, you are freaking being, you're such a bad boy. So you say lens. So just like ref, you know, like ref in view. You just say like ref zero and it returns to you or in solid is you say like create signal or whatever and it'll return to you like a getter and a setter that you destructure same thing with this like it you would destructure like let and then a destructured object that's like get set and is 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 like a comparison set is you set the value get I is you get is the value in my implementation to check to check okay um so yeah, and then you set that equal to lens. And so that that's it. It basically gives you like a few functions for accessing and comparing and setting values in that really granularized way. Granularized. Mm -hmm. And then the array for the multi-select one has a couple of extras, which is add and remove, right? So like you would want to add something to the selected array or remove something from the selected array. Uh, and then the, rather than it being... Uh, is or check it's has so yep. like does has the array have this value yeah basically just went with all the set methods so it's like this is a set basically so it should have like add remove clear has yeah you know and it's great yeah i mean it's like a sick little piece of code and it no like, dude this piece of be code the core of this giant application right and it required zero changes in alpine or anything and you could use it in view you could use it in solid you could use it in alpine and make like take like stuff like this make it super fast which is cool for the um, user like this is the i believe this is the most ambitious alpine app in the world like that is my <laughs> belief about this app is that like they're trying to get the most out of alpine of yeah. anyone right and i really love that they're like that they really want to keep it an alpine app you know because so many people would just be like dude let's just fucking make a react app you know right. like but like these guys are just like, ah, like we we want it to be an Alpine app. And like they have reasons, right? Like they've got like they're doing HTMX, they're doing like HTML over the wire type of uh activities. Yep. And so because of that, like switching to React means they have to rewrite a bunch of they have to start writing a bunch of API endpoints to communicate mm -hmm. their data as JSON instead of as HTML and all this other stuff. So like it would be a heavy lift to re-architect into a, an SPA. Right. But um, I just love the like commitment to like, I don't know, let's just like spend a little extra time seeing if we can make Alpine fast. And dude, with, the, with this kind of a use case, like if you have a giant. Table, it is so much better. With comms. It is so much better because you don't need that much. You just have yeah, like a few like, buttons almost, and a few. And it's funny that know. both of us thought like, I don't know, maybe this should be a React app. I know. But like, totally. but like if you actually like academically sat down and thought about like what are the use cases where alpine is way better than react it's like oh well maybe something where i have sixty thousand fucking components on one page and i only want to update two of them at any right. given time it's like oh well that so, is like 
that's fine grained reactivity right there, baby. I have a few places to take this. I have a few questions about yeah. view and react, and I also have a few thoughts of how to make Alpine faster by default so people don't yeah. have to run into this stuff. First, let me do the Alpine one. I, I I think I said at the beginning earlier when we were talking about the evaluator takes time. Like it takes time to take if you have like X hyphen data in your markup. I have to right. take or in what my you pass case, like it. I had like a custom directive that you could pass an expression into. Right. Um, and that had some overhead. I just looked and Alpine does memoize that. So I do basically there's a function called generate evaluator from string, where you pass a string and then it it calls like basically eval, you know, in JavaScript mm-hmm. to turn it into a function. There's a lookup table that's like, has this string been turned into a function before? Just return that function instead. But that so, doesn't help on boot because you still have to run it. You have to run it only times. once, though. Right, right, but I mean, if you have 60,000 components that are all doing it... It, it has 60, to look up in the lookup table. 60,000 well, no, 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 but I'm saying on boot. Oh, right, and they were different. that was the thing. It was slowing down, right. It was each... They were basically, different. What I was doing is I was passing an array in with the coordinates yeah, of a, each cell. I was saying like, you know, X one, one, cell one, two, equals one, three. one, one, X cell equals one, two. Yeah. And so that's what was slow, was like parsing that code... Right, because they're completely unique, right. and that's why the the memo didn't help at all. Right, and so we were just we ended up just doing like x data row and x data call. Yeah, um, and that's faster. So that's one thing, Daniel. Making the evaluator um, faster. What about this? So then I was thinking, like, we're like for the event stuff. You know, obviously, like event delegation is what you want in this scenario, and for the folks at home, event delegation is where you just listen for a click on the window object and just that's your listener. And then you say like, where did, oh, a click happened? What element did it originate from? Okay, then handle it, handle it on that element, you know, instead of having and like that element have its own click listener. To be more explicit, right? There's like three options, right? So the one is the one we, that we know is super bad, which is have 60,000 listeners on the window right. object, right? Super bad. Number two is like medium bad, which is like you still have 60,000 listeners, but now they're spread out over 60,000 elements. And it's not that bad. It's not that bad, but like it's barely bad. Imagine a world where there was one listener. That'd be a lot better. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like just the boot up time of like X on, you know, even though it's half a second, like half a second, half a second for for 60,000 of them. Right. How fast could it be with one of them? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that, right. It's, it's light bad. Yeah. But so then yeah, best this is the best of all possible. It's just one listener, one listener that then knows like, oh, I got a click on the window, but like, really, that click came from this element. Yeah. So what I was thinking is, I was like, okay, maybe I need to add a little API to Alpine, like Exxon click dot delegate, uh-huh. and then it automatically like registers a window listener and then like checks whatever. But then I was like, dude. Why don't I just make? When would you ever register? To, why don't I just make dot window be de- delegation by default? That's what React does internally. React you know? does delegation by default. We learned in our right. In React process. does delegation by default for every click. Mm-hmm. Alpine's not like, like synthetic that. events and all this other craziness, but right. But which is awesome and a part of why it, their boot time is really fast is because they're only registering the listeners that they need to register. So, have, yeah. you know, if there's only click listeners on a page, there's only one event listener on the page. Yeah. Which I do wonder how they handle like propagation and stuff like stopping propagation and whatnot. Maybe there's, I, I don't know, react enough. Is, bullshit for sure. <laughs> is there a react like hook to, to force like listening for an actual browser click event, like in the Dom tree? I don't know. Instead of just on click in JSX, 
There's got to be some I sort mean, of you hook. could definitely like register one with a use effect or something. Okay. Yeah, because there's all sorts of like, you know, there's the capture phase of events. There's all sorts of eventy stuff that that I'm sure in React app you would want to interact with and not use delegation. Yeah. But anyway, why don't I just under the hood make dot window use delegation? Like, I can't picture it being a breaking change for anybody, you know? Right. That just one thing is registered and then behind the scenes, so, I handle the brokering of like... I do have a question about bubbling though, right? Yeah. Like, say I have a nav and then inside the nav i have a bunch of a's yeah right mm-hmm. if i had a at click on my nav element yeah clicking any of those a's would trigger the at click on the nav element true right yep so if in this new world if i put an at click on the nav element and I click the A, is the top level event delegator? Like, how does the top level event delegator? No, so I'm not know? suggesting using delegation for standard click events like that. Okay. If you had at click dot window, sure. Then I would might as well just use delegation. Uh huh. Because it's no different. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. I get what you're saying. But I yeah. mean, how would you use delegation in that scenario? Well, like, how would I do, like? Say I want to detect something that's not the actual lowest level node. You know? Like, is there a way to say, like, this click event did pass through this node? But even though, like, there may be a lower level node that where it actually originated. Well, you can always check, like, the target of the node as uh-huh. opposed to the, the list, the element that the listener is on. Like, I have an API well, there, in Alpine. But I know that. So what I'm saying is, like, what if... What if the node I want to get a click on yeah. is like one level higher in the tree than the actual target of the node? Target of the node. Or, sorry, you... I'm sorry, the actual target of the event. Right? Yeah. So if the say, listener say is, a wrapper, is a parent of the target that actually emits. Right, the... exactly. Right. So like if I want to match an event yeah. and say like clicks on any children of this event should trigger this is there any way to do that with delegation like, without is there bubbling any... yeah because like is there any way to do it without having like listeners on each of those parents right i mean you would i guess it depends like because the question the thing you would need the api you would need it is would be to say like did this event pass through like bubble through yeah. this element in, on its way to me. So you're window. saying, I think I need a, a, a more clear setup. Sure. Okay. So uh, I have a table, right? Yep. Each table has a cell or the table has a million cells, right? Yep. Inside of each cell is a button. Yep. Right. I want to, um, when I click a button, yep. right? I want, uh, to capture that click event on the parent. How? Or sorry, There's on the what, window. What's the API? Like, are you just saying we're like registering a click? We're registering like, a click give listener me the specifics. on the window. Okay. Registering right? window dot listener, add event listener click. Yeah. I want to okay. register a click event on the window. Yep. And I want to say um, clicking the button yep. within a cell, uh-huh. I want to match that as a clicking on the cell 
Right. Okay. So does that make sense? Yep. So from the window listener, event.target would be the button, but you want to know the cell. But I want to know. Yeah. I want to know the cell. So, I mean, you would, I would, if we're using vanilla JS, I would manually do event.target.closest TD. You know, Mm -hmm. every element has a dot closest and it'll just look up the chain until it matches that selector. Sure. But what what I'm saying is, uh, in a world where I was doing it the other way, where I wasn't uh, doing event delegation, right? And right. I just did like a at, at click, click on, on the, the TD. TD. Right. Right. Um, just bubbling event propagation would right. cause that to get fired because the yeah. click on the button would eventually bubble up to a click on the cell. Right. Right. So let's let's do this. Let's say that you have at click, Alpine at click on every TD. And you have a button inside there and it all just works hunky-dory because it's just everyone has an event listener. Mm-hmm. So the, the event bubbles off of the button onto the TD and that's Correct. that. Now let's say we want to cr- invent a new syntax called at click.delegate. Correct. So you say at click.delegate on every TD. The, the premise is that only one event listener gets registered, period. Correct. And let's say that that gets registered on window. So Alpine... Yep registers it on window but it could get registered on the table or it could get registered right so let's let's just say a naive at click dot delegate would be like okay in alpine source code it'd be like the exxon directive would say oh there's a modifier dot um dot delegate then register a global window event if it's already been registered just leave it that'll be the global window event and then add this element into a a lookup table yeah add this right like this callback as the value and the key is the element or whatever, a weak map or something. A weak map, for sure. So then you have just some code in the window listener that's like event.target, look it up in the lookup table, find, okay, here's the handler for it, and then call it. But what you're saying is like, what if a button in, as a child, you know, is the, did the clicking? Target. So how do you get it to make sure that it like bubbles through that? Well, right, in the lookup, in the so window. Is there, is there some Here, 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 here. Oh, sorry. In the window event listener this the delegate the delegation or whatever instead of looking up the key and saying like does the event target match a key in here you would say does the event target you would i mean this is super inefficient you would loop through all them and see if any of them is a parent of the of the event target Mm -hmm. you know and then theoretically you what you would have to do right with dot is, contains just a heads up you could say like l dot contains and then pass another element it'll tell you if it's a child it's a nice little API. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So dot contains. So for each registered, for each click event, like if we wanted to do a sort of a React style thing where we only register one click handler. Yeah. Right. And then like every single click right. registration just gets like added to a lookup table with yeah. its callback. Right. Right. If we wanted to do that, um, we would get exponentially slower for each additional click handler that we added. Yeah. Um, unless there was some way to know, and I'm sure this API doesn't exist, but it really should, right? That like this event bubbled through this element on its way to me. You know? Like rather than saying like oh, this element is a child of this other element, Right. It would be nice if like 
when an event got to you, it came with an array of all of the elements it had bubbled through right. on its way to you. I know. It's like bubble path. Yeah. Yeah. Like bubble stack or something. Right. I mean, you could construct your own bubble stack easily. Like, let's just say in that window listener, you had like, you create an empty array called bubble stack and you take the event target and then you just do a little recursive loop looking up dot parent element dot parent element dot parent parent element well, so you get to body. when you register the listener well the only problem with that is is if the dom changes right so so if you do it at runtime you create your own bubble stack by just looking up the dom tree and creating a stack which dom trees don't get that deep they get really wide you know mm-hmm. but they don't get like insanely deep in most sure, yeah apps. maybe like maybe eight levels tops or something right i mean yeah yeah. even if it's like 50 levels a recursive look up a tree for 50 it's like nothing you know compared to like a dom wide tree that's like eighty thousand elements wide or something um so let's say that you create that little bubble stack and now you go through each level in the stack traversing the lookup table i bet that would be faster than looping through it at least would make it so that the slowness isn't attached to the amount of listeners on the page. Right. The slowness is to the is attached to the depth the level of the of listener, nesting. which is pretty cool. Yeah, like that's pretty cool. It's actually not the depth of the listener; it's how distant the actual event target is from, from its the ancestor that has a listener on it. Right, and then the cases where clicks are happening on things that have no listeners deeply. Those are the slowest, you know, because that actually has to like, right. But it doesn't matter if doing nothing is slow. Well, it has to, it still has to create, so it's like crawl up the tree and create the bubble stack to loop through and check to see if they're right. But what I'm saying is like that, if you're going to have something be slow, it should be the thing that has the no thing effect. that has nothing, right? Yeah. Well, what if it's like a native element or something, you know, that has to respond to a click, you know, but like you're not responding to the click? Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Like a submit so you might button be or like, something. You might like, be blocking. You might be blocking out like a native click for like point zero 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 one milliseconds. <laughs> but dude, that's not a bad little event delegation system we just invented there. That's pretty fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That should be like a little like plugin called delegate or something. Yeah, like delegate. Just swap out Alpine's event delegation system. Well, I mean, I might build it for this app because I do have a fuck ton of event listeners on some cells. Yeah. And I some mean, of those cells do have buttons in them. Yeah. Would be pretty, dude. That'd be so fun. It wouldn't be hard either. Uh, so some of my questions are, I, I do have, I want to know how like event, the synthetic event systems in Vue and React both work. Me too. Um, but I also want to know how, like in React, let's say start with Vue, because Vue and Alpine, same reactivity core. Vue could mm-hmm. do this in theory. But with Vue, you're still rendering a virtual DOM tree. Vue uses reactivity as a way to trigger a virtual DOM build, diff, and patch, where React uses explicit, you know, like actions that trigger re-renders like set state or whatever yep um so in Vue, would Vue be just as slow as react because it still has to do all the virtual dom stuff and like Vue vapor is the answer 
to be like solid and I think view vapor is svelte, you know, yeah. and do stuff really quickly. So I wonder in React, so that I, that might be the case. We should just straight up build a view app to test. But in React, what's the React pattern here? What's the lens equivalent for React to only to track which which table is at which row is active in sure. zillions of rows, and to only update the one that's so, deactivating and the one that's reactivating? Yeah. So what you would do, I think, right, is you would. In the same way that you're doing like a alpine dot reactive for each of a thousand things. Yeah. I think in React you would do a use state for each of a thousand things. Okay. Rather than doing a single use uh-huh. state that Yeah, and they each have set states. Like they each have set states of their own. Right. Yeah. And you then just, you would right. have to like build your own like hacky check state and yeah there would have to be dude it'd probably but, be like but, an elegant hook called like use lens that's what i'm saying is like you would make your own hook that wraps up this like kind right. of crazy object full of use states yep it's just like but yeah use it's lens totally it gives you it's totally doable yep totally and yeah my little foray like implement it in my react because the react app i built like the only performance stuff i did was a little bit of memoization but like eh, you know Oh yeah, I'm sure you could do the exact same thing. Although, hmm. But you still have to dude, run you the still whole ha- goddamn component. Right. You got to test this, dude. I know. You got to test this. You got to make your own I'll use s- lens hook. Listen, I'm you're off the clock now, so I'll send you my React code and you can start testing it for free. But uh, <laughs> I can't make my client pay me to test this, and I don't want to do it for free. So you can do it. It's your it's your fucking. We're talking library. to you, listener. By the way, Daniel's not talking to me. We're talking to you. To listen, uh, but yeah, you can test it off the clock. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff though. Yeah, it would be fun to know, you know. But yeah, dude, so really super like, fun. I think we should make like a ten thousand row table in every major JavaScript framework and make it as fast as physically. That's possible. what the benchmarks are, dude. Literally, mm-hmm. the JavaScript benchmarks are just giant tables. I think we should get like an expert from every framework. You know, like yeah. we should get like whoever the biggest view head in the world is who's not mm-hmm. or maybe just get evan to do it you know yeah like we build like a naive version of this in all of the frameworks and then send it to the framework authors just with your out. benchmark and be like this is what alpine could do can you make this faster right. than the alpine version yeah i mean solid would be solid would be, be just as fast so- solid would be fast. just like alpine like completely metal fast you know Mm -hmm. just whatever however fast that javascript operation is that's how fast it is view would be a little slower react would probably be view with vapor might not be slower view with vapor would be not slower at all and i bet svelte would be super fast too yeah but i don't know svelte's it's so fun man yeah but they all have trade-offs like that's the whole thing it's like trade-offs all the way down baby like react is completely you know like it's like um idempotent everything's idempotent like re-render every time and get like truth again you know mm-hmm. where all this reactivity stuff you can get like drift and i don't know like you like miss updates with reactivity where with like react you what is it like dan abramov posted a like this or that button like you either are going to miss updates or you're going to update too much you know mm-hmm. which one do you want yeah so Anyway, this has been a fun episode, Daniel. This has been a blast. This is like one of the nerdiest episodes we've ever done. Super nerdy. And it's like something 
like usually when you're talking alpine internals at me like you're just you, like you've been living in them all week right and i'm like off writing like a live wire app or whatever and i'm just like yeah. Yeah, that's cool but like i'm not like i don't feel the pain you know yeah it, this was really nice because like we felt the pain together we went through it together we're both like deeply connected to the code and like i think we both have i mean you obviously understand it on a deeper level than i do but like we both have like a really good understanding of like what the problem is and totally. why the solution was a good solution 100%. and like what types of solutions are good for these types of problems and like yeah it just feels like a good topic because it's like this is something we just like totally wrapped our heads around and now we can like talk about it intelligently and explain it to the listener and stuff totally so you guys you know people pay a lot of money for this consultation that you guys are getting for free <laughs> you guys you're getting it for free you're just the listener they don't they don't they're not even grateful yeah they're not oh i also meant to ask you i don't know if now's the time or if we're wrapping up this episode but i'm uh, considering you know livewire components you have dispatch browser event speaking yeah. of events uh-huh and you have emit so you can emit events like to other livewire components or you can dispatch a browser event to like alpine you want to merge them down? Yeah, just why don't I just make it dispatch? No emit, no dispatch browser event, just dispatch. That's it. And it dispatches browser events? Yes. And I now like LiveWire listeners are just listening for browser events. I like it. Here's the problem. Totally Here's what you need to help me with. Sounds and I love easy that enough. we're event lords now. We're event lords. <laughs> this is a very topical topic. In LiveWire v2, from some component, you say emit, and then any other component listens for it so it's like a global emission and global listening mm, global so we can emissions. recreate that by just like <laughs> we, you know, we, we need to decrease global emissions by two percent in the That's next funny, 10 years dude. i did say global emissions <laughs> you have global emissions <laughs> not global emissions not global global emissions nocturnal emissions yeah global emissions yeah you got your global emissions your globular emissions mm-hmm. and your global listeners in liveware so okay. to recreate that perfectly I would be now dispatching a browser event on window and listening for browser events on window. Yeah. Okay. And then there's an emit up in LiveWire. I would create a dispatch up, which dispatches it from the component up to the window. Yeah. And then there's emit self, which would just be dispatching to the self with no bubbling. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then emit to, where you mm-hmm. emit to a specific component, it would be dispatched to. And I would find How, the component wait, on the page. to what? Another LiveWire component. Do you put in like the class? The class in the name, yeah. Yep. You can so do what that if there's the... multiple of them? You are emitting to all of them? Yes. Okay. Um, people really want and have wanted for a while the ability to emit to specific IDs or something. I forget. Whatever. That's anyway, stupid. I don't know. So emit to. Um, yeah. So that would just be dispatching a browser event on that component without bubbling. And that would do that. Yep. So I can mirror the current functionality with browser events. Yeah. But I'm wondering, instead of it just like doing that and being like, we now just have dispatch and dispatch to and dispatch self and dispatch up. What if it was just like dispatch and it all by default dispatches on the component and bubbles up to the window and then your listeners listen for different things. It's like, I have, you know what I'm saying? It's like, is this a, maybe on by default is like a global listener, you know? But then if you want to just listen for like children, 
then you don't listen on the window. You listen on itself. So it's like on self or something or on children. You know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know what I'm saying, Daniel? I kind of know what you're saying. Like, can I, so. I, I want the default. Go ahead. Can, can I talk about our event sourcing package a little bit? Um, Is it, <laughs> it's related. Okay. So we write a lot of event sourcing code at, at Thunk in Thunkland. Yeah. Um, two of our current client projects are event sourcing projects. Um, we came up together writing a big event sourcing game. Um, so we do a lot of thinking about event sourcing. Right now, we generally use the Spotsy event sourcing package for things. Yeah. And we now have opinions that differ from it. And so we're yeah. going to write our own package. Okay. And one of the things that's weird is like a projector is the thing that like takes an event and then like causes it to write to the database or whatever. Right. Yeah. So the way that Spotsy projectors work is that they, um, you type hint events in handler methods. Okay. Right. So you say like, um, I want to, I'm going to have this handler method that's called like on advantage played. And then I'm yep. going to type hint an advantage played event. Right. And then I'm going to do things. And so the way that they do it is like they try to pass every event to every handler mm. and only the ones where the type hint matches. Like try catch or something. They literally like, I think that I haven't actually looked at the implementation, but it it's some, some something like or that. Or just like reflection like, and looking for the type yeah, hint. Yeah, but only the ones where the type hint matches actually yeah. get run. Does it work? Okay. It's, it's magic, Interesting. but it's weird, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm and down for it though. The thing that so doesn't far. work about it is that you can't have a handler that handles multiple types of events, uh-huh. right? And that's what we want. So we're actually going to be use attributes in ours. Oh, nice. Where cool. you can actually just attribute all of the event classes that you want this handler to handle yeah. onto it. And I wonder if there's an opportunity, since you're an attribute boy now, mm-hmm. to do something similar where like on, I don't know, like on, I guess in the class somewhere, like if you could like, I guess that would be the opposite because in the class you would be telling it like what events you want to listen for and you want to do the right. opposite, which is like telling the event which components it should trigger. So I don't actually know if there's an op- I don't know if there's anyone well, to put attributes. I, I mean, I've figured like in LiveWare V2 when you specify listeners for a component, you say protected listeners equals and then an array of key values, events, and then methods as the value. Now yeah. it's just an attribute called on uh-huh. that you just put on top of a method that you want to run when that event is hit. And I guess what I'm saying is before the system in V2 is very global. It's global by default. Yeah. You emit globally, you listen globally, and then you can, you can customize the scope of emissions, you know, (laughs) where now with this V3 and dispatching to global emissions with V3, I could do that. But it's like, I think I would rather it be more browser native, like where you could say on click even. And if a click event filters through your live wire component and it's listen for a click event, it'll fire that that method, you know? Yeah. So I almost want them to be like very native feeling. Like if you dispatch an event, you dispatch it from a component, you know? Which means it dispatches and bubbles through the tree. And if you want to listen for that event from a parent component, you on in that parent component, you know? Yeah. Um, but here's the tricky part, Daniel. Tell me the tricky part, Caleb. On. If on is just listening on its root, you know, that's a pretty yeah. big breaking change. 
or in V2, if it's on post created or something, you know, then it's going to pick up any component anywhere that emits post created. Mm-hmm. With what I'm suggesting, it would only pick up children that emit post created. Is that true? To f- yeah, with what I'm proposing. I didn't realize that in the past it would pick up non children. Yes. I've never tried to do that. So I've never encountered that. I always like treated it like it was browser events and like events bubble and stuff. Yes. Um, no, that's, I mean, that's not how it works. So. Okay. Interesting. Um, I just feels like a big breaking change. Listen, you know? I'm sure there's going to be a Dutch person who yells at you about this, but I think that you should feel okay moving to that paradigm. Right. Just doing the breaking change. Because and- like, yeah. Cause it's like, I think mirroring your events around how browser events. No, work. I don't think you. In, I don't think people intuit that you're dispatching an event through, like, from children that you're listening for events from children. Think about if you have like a cart shopping cart counter in the corner of your page, and then like a cart component somewhere else in the page. They're like siblings, you know. Mm-hmm. And if if the cart counter is just listening, add a, add a but basically what I need global. is just. I should ask the ability to listen in classes, period. Just use wire colon in your template, you know, mm-hmm, and just do like wire colon that event dot window if you want to listen to it globally. But, you know, dude, it's tough, man. It is tough. tough. It is tough, Caleb. Um, can I just give a quick life update on how great running an agency is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having a blast, Caleb. I only think about great problems all the time why because i've got guys writing code who aren't me and nice, they're nice. writing all the boring code right, right and right. i'm only like i'm doing architecture so any big architecture decisions it's your boy right code yep. review i see all of the code before it goes out yeah and so i'll like look through and i'll be like ah this seems slow or bad or dumb or ugly yeah like let's pair on it for an hour and like make it good and cool cool. and fast and dope. Um, So like, and then there's like one project, which is the, uh, the spreadsheet project. That's like all me, I'm running all the code. Right. Yep. But like, in addition to that, there's like all these other projects where like, I just get to pick like one sick problem and like, nice. And then work on it where it's like, Oh, like, uh, Okay, like I don't need to be involved in implementing a Stripe implementation. Yeah, you're not right? carrying like, around the weight of like all the code that your magic. Yeah, like the number of times it. that I have professionally integrated Stripe into an application in my life is unbelievable, right? Yeah. So I can write really detailed exact tickets, right? Yeah. Where I'm like, here's what a setup intent is. Here's the docs for a setup intent. Right. Like, go. This is how you capture a card. It's A B C D. Or right, you just have ChatGPT do it, but sure, go do it, sure, sure. But like, I so I like write a good um, ticket, and then yeah. I get a PR, and then I say, okay, this is dope. Except you see this part where you're like going and getting the Stripe data about this user. You're doing it four times. That's making four separate API requests. Let nice. me tell you about PHP attributes, you know, or uh, sorry, or about um, access about model accessors yeah. and how they're cached, and so you know, and so then I get to like do like one cool thing that like makes the code better and like yep nice. everyone learns something and it's you know it, it's great i love yeah, my job great. right now That's um, cool. and we are i think we're carving out a niche 
in event sourcing. I think event sourcing and like being good at at Livewire and Alpine are like nice. our two differentiators, right? Like cool. we're good at Livewire and Alpine and like if you have an event sourcing problem, you probably don't even know you have it. But like we know when what an event sourcing problem looks like now and most other people don't. Like most people think event sourcing is just for banks or whatever. Um but like people keep coming to us with these problems and like the reason they come to us is like this feels like a hard complicated problem and like it feels like i'm gonna have to write some insane queries right and like i'm scared of writing big queries because i feel like i'm gonna get them wrong and i don't know sql that well or whatever yeah um and so i'm gonna bring in like some consultants to help me with my big queries and then we yep. get there and we're like, actually, what you don't want to do is write big queries. That is a terrible use of your time and brain power. What would be a better use of your time and brain power is to make the schema so that you can write simple queries. Nice. Yeah. Right. And yep. if you event source this piece of your app, you can make the schema whatever will make your queries the simplest yep. because you can just project your data in the way that right. makes it most accessible. And so we've got, we've been building, like, we're building up like a little framework of like, what are the four code smells that you probably should be using event sourcing in this place? And huh. here's what, I, I think it was four, maybe it's only three right now, but here's what they are. Okay. Do you have a status column on your mm. thing that has like 10 statuses, right? right? Where it's like, yep. it's not Open, just like, close, act, it's not active, yeah. draft, pending, draft, right archived archived yeah whatever you know all if you have that you are yearning for event sourcing yeah the, the way that you know that you really really need event sourcing is if you have that and then you're like oh shit i need to install laravel activity log because i need to know why that status column changed right yeah right and yeah. so like i need a history of yeah changing. i need a history of like when that like when and yeah. what caused that order to go from pending to canceled right. like yep. Did the customer cancel it? Did one of our sales reps cancel it? Daniel, I feel like this is this is a whole episode, Daniel. I know. So we'll do this give me in a separate the, give episode. me the super teaser. Okay, but we should do an entire episode on this. But yeah, th okay. Well, I'll just say for now, I'll only give you two of the reasons. But like the t those two reasons are it. If you have a status column with a million statuses, yep. you're constantly adding new statuses, right? Right. And you're like, oh my god, I have to add Laravel activity log because these statuses aren't granular enough, right? Yep. You want event sourcing, and you don't even know that you want event sourcing. We have also built all of these rules internally as a team since we've been working on this event source game for the past two years. And like I was teaching them to code through it. So I had to make all these like laws, hmm. you know? And I was like, this is a law of event sourcing. Like you can't do this. Nice. You always do this. So we've got all these like strong these opinions. blog posts, Daniel? Dude, I think it's, they're coming. Don't you fucking worry. Um... <clears throat> Because I've got guys who can write now. Right now, you got <laughs> like, sick Yo. John Drexler on the, the <laughs> exactly. writing of blog posts. Exactly. So anyway, we've got laws. We've got uh, we've got like uh, diagnoses criteria. Like we've got all these things. And so like when we come into a project and they're like, "Can you help us write this big scary query?" Like we can just run it through this system and be like, "Okay, look, the query you want to write is like." all based on statuses and then you want us to add activity log like let me give you like a 20 minute lecture about event sourcing and then let's have a one hour and a half call where you explain this super complex feature to me and all of its implementation details and stuff 
And then me and John are going to go away for two hours and we're going to write up what we think all of the events are that, and like what yeah. they all cause. And we're going to come back to you with this document. And if we're right, you let us build this with event sourcing. Nice. And it just keeps working. Sweet. <laughs> like we're two for two. Dude, dope. <laughs> I love it. And so anyway, if you out there, the listener are like chewing on like a terrible query with status columns and activity log, Holler Call your boy. boy. We, got you. we got you, baby. <laughs> That's right. And I just can't wait until we publish our event sourcing package. It's going to be great. Maybe I'll like event sourcing, Daniel, after yeah. you. It's dope. I want to know the salvation from the status column. Status column is true. And the other smells. And activity log, come on, get out of here. Get right out of here. It's trash. So trash. Um, Great stuff, Daniel. Caleb, we love it. We love you. We love you. We love you, the listener. We love you. We love you. And with that, my dick. Yes. Shall we? Cue. Shall we cue it? The outro music? Cue what? Mm-hmm. When? Now? Oh. oh, I cued it. It's been cued. It's been cued. Bum, 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 bum.